Today on Two Drop Tables, Episode 2, we talk about PI breaches within corporate and government environments. Are companies doing enough to protect your information, and what can you do? Also, biometrics, fingerprints, iris scans. With more and more devices using this popular method of authentication, what are the security risks involved, and how can you keep your sensitive data safe? Finally, fake news. How can we determine what's real, what's not? Are world governments using social media to spread their agendas? Are they taking advantage of social circles to enhance believability of these articles? You are listening to Two Drop Tables and a Microphone, an information security podcast with a Canadian perspective and the only tech podcast with a three-drink minimum. We are the place for information security news and how it affects you as either a security professional or a general consumer. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and our guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of their employers, past or present. Hey, welcome to the podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name is John Raperto. I'll be your host for today. With me, I have uh, Mark and Dom. Mark? Yeah, hello. My name is Mark Speed. I'm lead consultant at Dogwood Technical Solutions. And hi, I'm Dom Kapik. Uh, so some uh, government employee working at the Ministry of Transportation and here in BC. All right, uh, we got some great topics to look at today. Uh, first one we're looking at today is uh, PI incidences within mega corporations. So we're talking about how you know we give all these corporations a lot of our data and what are the ramifications of it? Uh, what are they doing with it? How we can protect ourselves? Uh, I know they're trying to keep us safe or they say so. A lot of information in online, buying stuff, e-commerce, uh, but then we keep hearing about all these big breaches, and we leaves us to believe in the public. Like, what are they doing? What's going on? Yeah, so I guess one of the most recent ones that happened was that uh, breach at Chipotle, and just reading their response, uh, I thought was kind of interesting, saying basically that uh, the malware search for track data. So that's the data that I believe is what's on the Stripe. Uh, the magnetic strip, sorry. Um, sometimes that has the cardholder name and other uh, info on it. And it read it as that was being routed through their point of sales device. Uh, that data could include card number, expiration date, the internal verification code. But then they say there is no indication that other customer information was affected. I don't know what other information they're talking about. Other than your name, uh, which you don't really need. Uh, that's enough information to start using that credit card. Well, absolutely, Mark, and that's the other thing too. I, this is this is to me, this is like the latest in a string of string of breaches. Like it's like from from uh, what was it, TJ Maxx, all the way to now. I mean, it's not that much different. I mean, the information uh, that's probably gained, yeah, names, date, birth dates, possibly uh, 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 credit card information you know, addresses, that, that sort of thing. I mean, it could be used, uh, anywhere. I thought they would learn their lesson, you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, pretty old news. I mean, I thought they would secure it, but I guess not, you know, I mean, uh, even though it's been out there for over 10 years. So. Yeah. And so do we, do we think these companies, cause you know, they should all be PCI DSS compliant. That's, you know, payment card industry standards. There's 12 kind of benchmarks for them to, to meet. You would think that, you know, they would have to meet it. There would be an audit. Security people come in and or the researchers from whatever, PSI, the board, who knows, and say, hey, you've met it. You can now sell online or does it not work that way? 
Well, the problem is, John, is that uh, the issue is is these after looking through uh, the PCI DSS standard um, uh, in detail, it's really hard to meet. Uh, it's very expensive, and uh, I mean, there has been some companies that use third-party providers to uh, to hold uh, credit card data, and uh, they would uh, just uh, uh, basically have a masking process. So that they would, uh, the merchants are able to save money. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's uh, there's it say there's 12 uh, st- 12 points, but there's like 250 sub points uh, in total uh, within within the 12. So it's really really hard to meet. In fact, uh, compliance auditors uh, can uh, do very well in uh, in this type of business. Another thing too that I noticed when I was uh, researching and sort of trying to find out what I could about this is that um, it's easy to be compliant at version 3.1. And then when 3.2 comes out, now you're not. And we know, uh, being that we work in the security landscape, that these things can change very quickly. So all of a sudden now we have a new target to meet and then you spend some money, get audited, do things properly again to meet that next level. And over time, people have grown less and less compliant and further and further behind and no one's been no one's getting fined no one is is getting held to the standard i think pci needed to happen uh, that compliance needed to happen and it was a good thing for the industry like the retail industry and i just think it's either gotten a little too big and cumbersome like the tax code or like something has happened where it's no longer providing the benefit that it was supposed to you could even see companies saying this is the cost of doing business I mean, it's a bad thing to say, but, you know, Home Depot had 60 million credit cards put out there. What did it cost them? And 19.5 really... million in a data breach settlement. So what did they make? What is $19.5 million to Home Depot? Yeah, it's not much money. That's just the cost of doing business. That's like getting fined by the SEC. Exactly. So if they can look at it as it's not going to cost us that much if this gets out, and but it's going to cost us... 50 million to be compliant, why would we bother being compliant? And especially if we're not going to get fined. Yeah, exactly. And the other thing too is that they're not going to, they're not looking at, uh, the, you know, and they thought, oh, we're already compliant and they'll just forget about it. And then all of a sudden things change massively. They go through, uh, let's say, a refresh of their IT systems. And then, you know, and they just don't bother going through the process again. Because like they spent so much money doing the refresh that it's like, okay, well, why would we bother going through the process of uh, PCI compliance? We've already done it. We've already did it. So it's best, you know, if you can't, you can't meet compliance, uh, then uh, don't store uh, private data. It's that simple. Use a third party. I mean, wouldn't it be better if we just had a few third party PCI compliant, that's just what they do and everyone has to use them? That would work. A lot of these things are going through the point of sale machines. Like there's times where it's, stuff wasn't even encrypted at all in the point of sale machines, right? And like, so it's, you could use a third party reader. What I think needs to happen is more um, chip and pin, more chip transactions, more tap to pay transactions, because tap to pay uses the EMV standard and it's basically just sending a message to the retailer saying, yeah, here's a like a, authentication token sort of deal and you know they don't get any of that number right they don't it doesn't send the payment data to the retailer so we're not having to give them that trusted information anymore so you know people could just boycott places that aren't doing contactless payment or at the very least chip and pin 
Exactly. And the other thing, too, is I find that uh, uh, in the States, you know, in the United States, they tend to be far behind than in Canada. I mean, um, there's places where they don't even use chip and pin for nothing. Um, and uh, I was using, I was seeing, I was here in Canada, like, uh, I remember, like, uh, they're using internet chip and pin, uh, interact chip and pin technology. They're, you have it on their credit cards. But down in the States, uh, they don't even know what interact is. And uh, they, some places have chip and pin, but mo but a lot of them don't. So they're, uh, I, th I think they're far behind. It's probably why Chipotle got uh, hit so hard. Yeah, they've switched to chip and pin now, or at least chip. Um, yeah. Because they're still doing swipe. I don't remember in Canada the last time I swiped, and Europe's way ahead of us. Like, I, swiping a card? Like, how, when has that happened? Oh. It's like chip and sign, I think, in the States. Yeah, so, chip but and they're sign. moving yeah. to chip and pin, but they're a little behind us. I mean, I, I also think the, the average consumer either doesn't know or doesn't really care or doesn't really realize the ex gravitude of the, you know, the gravity of the situation, yeah. really, how bad it is. They think, oh, well, you know, stuff's out there. And until it actually hits you, your personal information is being used or you have some fraud against you, then you start realizing, like, oh, geez. Yeah, that's why I'm a little bit always. That's I'm a little bit suspicious of. Uh, every time I go to a bank and uh, I put my uh, my debit card to withdraw cash out of the bank machine, I always check the bank machine to see if there's anything odd or unusual or like. Oh, some of those skimmers look so good. Oh yeah, they 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 know how to cam camouflage their uh, their uh, their key loggers very well. And drive through. I mean, look at all the banks now that have drive through. So the ATMs on the outside. I mean, sure, there's a camera there, but it's easier to access. You know, it's you can drive by and roll up to it and and, and do what you need to do with it, and you would never find out who it was. But you know, it's it's getting harder and harder to realize. So, I mean, what can consumers do? What can they do? They hear about these every day, so either they don't care and they just go on, or they do care but they don't know what to do. So one of the things I also heard today was that. Um originally so i guess it was a study with a smaller sample size that was done but basically like microphone in people's faces on the street hey if such and such store had a, all their credit card information stolen would you still go there and they all say no so they report back yeah customers care uh but in reality when you don't do that test and you actually watch what people do the companies take a hit for a short period of time while people have it sort of in their mind that oh you know uh, Home Depot or you know Target or Chipotle had a breach, so I won't go there. And then month two, three, it's right back to normal. People move on to the next thing that they saw on Facebook or Twitter, or whatever they they just forget. And they, well, that's the thing. I mean, they can they can handle like those big companies. Uh, they can handle that kind of thing. Like they can, you know, it's like oh, that's just the cost of doing business. And uh, two or three months, you know, they uh, their revenues go back up because the customers come back because they forget about it. And that's to me is dangerous because uh, it's uh, it's it's like it's not you're going to a place that has done nothing of uh, of uh, protecting your personal information. So I mean it's it's uh, pretty pretty dangerous. Yeah, and I wonder if consumers are getting fatigued and just never stops. So you're like, well, now I can't go anywhere. But these companies, you know, they report a breach, you hear about it, and it's and it's like, okay, that happened two years ago. So, you know, who's reviewing their logs? What are they doing? Why are they not seeing anything closer to the dates? Um, it's almost like two years later. I heard an advertisement for an InfoSec company that uh, the time between uh, you're hacked 
then you know you're hacked on average in the US is one year. Right? So Yeah, it's absolutely. just crazy. That is crazy. I mean you're you basically own that company for a year and you can do whatever you want. And uh I think um it's uh, it's something that uh, you know. I mean, it's it this this whole Chipotle thing. They could have been uh, they could have been breached like a year ago, and, uh, and just people started just siphoning off data, and they just found out about it now, and they're going, oh, so how bad is it really? So they say it was like a one month period or something, right? Uh, yeah, between March twenty fourth, twenty seventeen, and April eighteenth, twenty seventeen. So they caught it um, within a fairly short time frame. They did, but, uh, but how do they, how do they know that it's been of one month time frame? Maybe it could oh, have been three or four months. I mean, who that's, knows? Just, that's what just what they saw. Saying. That's <laughs> just what they saw. They could have, you know, who knows? I mean, we exactly. can't see inside what they're doing and they're using a seam solution or that's just whatever they had on retain on their backup. Who knows? Or they probably installed something within, you know, like the month before they caught it and they go, oh, uh, there's something happening here. And then a month later, yeah, it looks like we've been breached. So how'd the malware get on there, right? Could be a number of ways. Insider employee. It could be a uh, 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 phishing, phishing scam. It could be somebody just uh, plugging a USB stick into, uh, you know, unwitting employee plugging in a USB stick. Or, But I think, you know, like we said before, you go into these places, how exposed are the USB ports? On Absolutely. any of these things, you know, uh, some are sitting above the counter. Right there. Yeah, yeah. I've been tempted to to plug in my Bash Bunny here and there. <laughs> Just, I, I'm not I got gonna, a couple of but... rubber duckies. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> Just uh, plug one of those bad, bad boys in, you're done. So you know, I guess really, as the end user, it's always up to you uh, which companies you feel safe shopping with, which ones you're not. Protecting your information, not giving out your cards, making sure you always know where you're using your card. Um, anything suspicious, report it. And well, that's the thing. Like I've noticed, uh, you know, I keep track of my transactions, and uh, you know, if I see anything anything unusual, like my credit card statements or my uh, debit card or whatever, uh, I report it, and uh, they they take action. As much as I'm a uh, free market guy, I. I really don't think that, you know, market pressure is going to resolve this problem. As we were just discussing, people will go back to these places, um, whether they need to or just want to. Uh, I don't know. But, you know, I think this is going to have to be a government regulation thing. They're going to have to give PCI compliance uh, more teeth or do something. Exactly. I mean, companies there are, are there to make money. They're not uh, there to police, uh, to protect uh, information. That's not their job, especially companies like Chipotle. You know that their their core business is uh, food, so it's uh, you know they're not going to worry about oh I'm going to do I have to protect my customers' data? That's not their concern. Um, they you know at the end of the day, but uh, the thing is is that uh, sooner or later they're going to have to figure out yeah that that this is important because you know I mean their reputation's at stake, but they but they are focused on their core business and because that's what that's what they do and that's what they do and. Uh, you know, I mean, it's 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 what they uh, you know what they make their money, and uh, they'd rather, you know, if they don't have to worry about uh, securing their customers' data because of the cost, they won't. So, I mean, there definitely needs to be some oversight, and I think both sides is going to have to be up to the consumer, but it's also going to be up to gov the government and regulation to ensure that you know there's a framework in place to ensure you know 
customer safety and trust in the system. So. I can see with businesses though, if they if they are forced to do this, um, they they will expect uh, the government to help them with the cost of it. Um, you know, I mean, uh, I hate to say this, I'm not a big fan of subsidizing uh, businesses, but in this case, uh, if you have to subsidize uh, uh, the business to protect uh, customer information, then I guess that's really how, that's what you have to do. It's either that or the costs will just go up. Oh, absolutely. They, they always get passed downstream. So. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of consumers are going to be happy with that. <laughs> uh, let's move on. Biometric authentication. This kind of caught my eye earlier this week. It just got, uh, I think it was an Ars Technica where it was like, oh, the Galaxy S8 Irish, uh, Iris recognition <laughs> feature was compromised. And I thought, geez, I thought we were told that biometrics is so much safer and so much better because it's unique for everybody. But um, every device has one now. We're starting to use it for payments, Apple Pay, Android Pay, Samsung Pay, fingerprint. Now we're using our eyes. They're saying it's even easier with the eyes because we expose them more than our fingerprints. Um, they say it's a safer way, but really how secure is it? Is it better just to have a password and stuff? And that's the thing about iris scans. Iris scans uh, are actually uh, not as secure as retina scans. Uh, my, and that's the thing. It's, uh, it's not, uh, it, biometrics is not the end-all and be-all. I mean, you can, uh, if you grab somebody's phone... You know, all you have to do is get some very, very fine grain, like really, really fine powder. Just wipe it, wipe it over the, uh, wipe it over the uh, the phone with biometrics on it. Put a piece of tape, and you, you know, you could potentially get in that way. You know, and it's, uh, you know, and or uh, you could fake. Uh, sometimes you can fake uh, iris scans in. Uh, you just uh, if you're creative enough, and it's just. Uh, yeah, it's biometrics is, uh, you know, I, I, I argue, always argue for, or to a factor authentication. You know, I mean, you have, a, you have a biometrics is one way, then you also have a password, or you have uh, some sort of claims-based authentication, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, they said here, when they tricked it, they said they claimed a good camera with a 200-millimeter lens at a distance up to 5 meters would do the trick. That's like 15 feet. <laughs> yeah, so you could take a picture of someone's face from that far away. Yeah. Printed out image using a laser printer and placed a contact lens on top to simulate the curvature of an eye. That's all stuff that you can do. That's all yeah. stuff that anyone could do. And like there were people who were hacking the iPhone 6 um, fingerprint reader with putty. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I've seen I've seen cases where they use what was that 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 uh, uh, that fine that makeup that women use uh, uh, to cover their faces Foundation. with, and they. They use that and they just put it over the over the the biometric sensor and put a piece of tape over it and they're in. I mean, yeah, because you're always you're always touching that with your thumb, so it's got a good thumbprint on it that works probably. Exactly. It's even got a glassy sort of surface to it. And what's interesting is that the um, Chaos Computer Club at their convention uh, a long time ago they were breaking into the sort of like a similar attack. It was CCC that was doing this one with the uh, iris recognition, but they were doing a similar thing with uh, the fingerprint, and they were able to take a photo of your hand, and they were even using public photos that they're finding on the internet of other people, and being able to print, being able to, yeah, being able to print uh, a fingerprint using a photo that they found online of somebody. <laughs> Kind of reached the need that, you know, like Dom was saying, you know, two factor. This is just one factor. You can't even keep a secret because it's just out there. Fingerprints, iris, whatever it is. 
So right. it's one it's thing, supposed to be something it's... that you are. It's not yeah. something you are if anyone on the internet or anyone within 15 feet of you can get it. Yeah, it almost seems like you should do it in per- person. So things like, you know, payment cards or government identity cards using any kind of fancy biometric authentication, uh, you know, it's something you really got to look into and think, you know, is this, I know it's really convenient for the user, but, you know, we're storing some really sensitive data here. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're not going to care if when it gets breached, whether it was their fault, they're just going to blame you. Yeah, one of the quotes from that article from uh, Dirk Engling, spokesman, uh, spokesperson, sorry, for the CCC said, uh, if you valued, valued the data on your phone and possibly want to use it for payment, using the traditional pin protection is safer than using body features for authentication. Yeah, the body features can easily be cloned too. I mean... Mm-hmm. From photos from, you know, just 15 feet away or, you know, getting somebody's fingerprint on off of a card. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's a card. Can you sign the card for me? This is for a coworker. Okay, sure. You know, they sign the card and then you just take the card, take the fingerprint off there, uh, you know, get some fine powder or take the fingerprint off and away you go. One thing, too, with the mobile biometrics that we're finding and other work that we're currently doing is that. You know, you can say, oh, I want to know it's that person, so we'll get the touch ID. But anybody who unlocks your phone can add their fingerprint to touch ID. And people do. I mean, in your family, you know, whether it's your wife or your partner. Or your my husband, kids can unlock my kids. phone. Everyone's got a fingerprint, so if they can unlock your phone, then everyone's fingerprint. So there's no guarantee. I mean, the banks get around that because they just put up a disclaimer. And again, like we just talked about, that's just the cost of doing business. Okay, you're going to lose some money and they're going to reimburse you and they, you know, put it in their loss column and off they go. But, you know, a government can't do that with your personal personal information. Yeah, I think we can't rely on just biometric authentication. I think you it always needs to be multi-factor. So it's a password and your fingerprint or it's a pin and your fingerprint or and your iris or face rack or, you know. You always need to. I mean, with anything, it's it's always been a thing, but it's the, the... newest and greatest and for some reason i think there might be this perception that biometrics is safer for whatever reason because you think well it's unique to me it's safe but as shown on numerous occasions that it's not it's easier because at least a pin i can keep secret yeah i was just gonna say that like it would be it wouldn't be trivial but you could get my fingerprint you could keep trying and eventually you'd get a good one that would unlock my iphone you're not gonna you're never gonna get my password ever yeah, not without some black site tactics there, you know. Yeah, exactly. you could own you could own my machine and get my uh, my keylogger if you can do that. Yeah, I have to put you in a room or something. But mm. that's but that's why you do fingerprint and password. You need to own my machine and get my fingerprint. Now you really want me? Like this is NSA level shit, right? <laughs> what do you have on that machine, man? <laughs> yeah, jeez, man, I want to know. <laughs> the best porn ever. <laughs> everyone's starting to use this now i think i see more and more i go in the grocery store and i see people tapping i see people using their fingerprint all the time for all sorts of things so you know people aren't even thinking about it but what can they do what uh what are they what are you trying to do to keep this a little bit safer for the most part yeah it's it's tough though i mean it's uh i think i think two-factor authentication is really the way to go and it's got to be it can't be like you know your fingerprint and your eyeball you know, I mean, it's got to be, it's got to be your fingerprint or a password or a pin, 
or or something else, but not uh, two two of the same thing, right? It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, well, it's sort of something you have, which could be like a smart card, a chip, you know, that sort of thing, a uh, encryption key, something you know, password, a pin, and something that you are, a biometric. So you need, you know, two of those three. Uh, three of three would be ex- a bit extreme, probably, depending on the information you're trying to protect, but two of those would work. I mean, if even if you had to use your fingerprint to pay and then put in the pin to authorize the transaction. Yeah, it wouldn't be that much slower. Wouldn't yeah. be that much slower. You know, I know tap to pay is so convenient, but I mean you still have to do the fingerprint. So fingerprint, pin, tap, go. I mean Well, the other thing too is uh it depends on depends on what uh who's using it too, like the uh, devices. Like I mean some like a normal average Joe consumer isn't uh Gonna, you know, they sure they're gonna want uh, uh, some sort of uh, protection on their phone, but you know, um, I've never seen anybody unless if they're really paranoid, like or at least somebody who who's not a security professional, who's not who's who's not really paranoid. Just use they just use one form of authentication. They just use the the uh, you know the pattern swiping, or they use uh, they use uh, their pin. That's mostly it. And uh, you know they just they just want some form of security they uh, that they can easily uh, go into. So uh, instead of going, oh yeah, I want to do the pattern, do a password or biometrics, they're you know they're gonna get uh, frustrated pretty quick. So I uh, that's what I see. Uh, and, and I mean, if if you can do it, if you can do two f two f a very easily, like let's say uh, you put in a put in a thumbprint and then you put in a four letter pin. I think uh, that's uh, probably what uh, the consumer is likely to go for. Yeah, it's, uh, there's some options. So I mean, it's you know at the very least, you know, try and use the pen. I know biometrics is cool, but yeah, let's exactly. use the pen. Okay, uh, our final topic tonight. We're going to be looking at uh, a lot of this fake news that's been going around. You know, how much was Russia involved in the U.S. election or any of this, and have they been planting the information? In Western media, you know, how, how do we discern between real and fake news now? Uh, everyone's relying on their Facebook feed and Twitter, this and that, and we just kind of take everything at face value. But now it's starting to come out that, you know, maybe there was some, you know, tampering. There's, oh, there's tampering on the other side, too. Like, you know, the American government has been doing this in other countries. They've been affecting other countries' elections. So I don't want to pretend like that hasn't happened the other way around. Mm-hmm. And it's not as if there isn't a liberal bias to the mainstream media as it is. Well, there's bias in news all the time. I mean, I see it doesn't, it, it could be watching, let's say RT or you could be watching Breitbart news and it's uh, you know, I mean, it's all biased in one way, shape or form. And the thing is, it's, it, 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 it I find the news has always been sensation sensationalist. You know, they're trying to get ratings. They're trying to, uh, because ratings equals profits, and uh, it, it's it's pretty it's that's pretty it's pretty simple. But uh, you know, I don't see anything that's really objective on the internet. So I, I take it, you know, I, I read it just to find out what's going on. But I kind of I kind of don't uh, take it at face value. I just look at it going, is this really true? You know, I mean, it's some sometimes you know you see they embellish numbers or they or they um, uh, they they embellish parts of the story to make it look like, oh my God, there's something really happening. And but the question is, who else does it? Does China do it? 
Does the uh, United States do it? Does uh, some European countries do it? It seems Everyone like we're, it. we're looking at Russia. Yeah, but... Prop- propaganda has been effective for a very, very, very long time. Oh, absolutely. It's just a new medium now, right? Now you can affect, almost, almost in real time, right? Everybody's getting news in real time. Facebook, Twitter, whatever. You know, you don't have to wait for the paper the next day. You know, the message can be controlled almost any time. So, you know, you publish something, you don't know what's real. Uh, you're trying to find out the source. You know, what's what's the, the, the agenda behind the article? Is it even, like, who can corroborate the story? I find so much coming out now, even with the, the, the wanna cry and who's it linked to. It's like, where's the proof? Everyone just seems to be putting a bunch of facts and air quotes there out on paper yeah. and you're supposed to believe it. That's the thing with WannaCry. It's uh, a lot of pro- plausible deniability. Uh, with Fancy Bear or whatever they call Cozy Bear, there a lot of pl- plausible deniability. Everybody seems to blame, you know, thinks that, oh yeah, they blame Russia. And, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. The Russians are pretty sneaky, but they're, you know, they have plausible deniability. They, uh, and, and people, and that's why I've, seen, I've heard a lot of people say, oh, it's not the Russians. I'm like, yeah, you don't know that, right? But it's, it's uh, you know, any country can do it and claim that, you know, claim that they had nothing to do with it or it was, uh, it was a rogue element in, uh, you know, uh, within the country. It's uh, gangs or something or uh, hackers who uh, want to appease the government in some way, but they weren't uh, sanctioned by the government. So I think it's just as likely that it wasn't Russia at all. And like we don't, we only think it was Russia that did the DNC hacks because we're told it was by CrowdStrike, who the DNC got to do a report. Um, they turned down several requests by the FBI. They offered to look at their servers and figure it out. They're like, no, 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 we'll just pay these other people. And they came up with, well, it's Russia. And they had to retract a whole whack of that report later on. I think one of the biggest things is there's no way to confirm the veracity of news articles and their sources, right? Uh, right now, you release something and uh, you could say it's from an anonymous source, it hits Twitter, it hits everything, it's gone in a few hours, and then there's something else, and there's something else. I think back in the day when you printed things in a newspaper, if you printed something that was wrong, everybody saw it, and you had to correct it the next day. Here, it's gone. People have forgotten about it, but it's it's left something in their mind. Like, one of the scary things right now is, I was reading an article that there's overwhelming support, like 45%, for impeachment of President Trump based on connections and ties to Russia, but there has been no evidence made public at this point. They keep saying, oh, anonymous source said this. Well, you almost shouldn't print that. Yeah. Yeah, you well, should I know. And then they, you know. First. Oh, we can't list our sources because it might endanger them or whatever. But you know, it's they feel like you just put a high-ranking official out from you know CIA, NSA, FBI, whatever, and that should be good enough. It's like, well, you know, they have a history of, you know, maybe bending the truth a little bit or planting information out there that's maybe not so true. But you have no idea. Every country, uh, you know, bends the truth or. Uh... Or outright lies spreads different disinformation because if it's in their best interest to do so, and uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it seems like uh, you know this whole Russian thing came came out because of uh, it's been all over the American news. It's all this, so people are quick to blame Russia for it. But it could have easily been, you know, let's say uh, China. It could have easily been Mexico, even. You know, you never know, and. Um, 
I don't think that in this case it would be Mexico, but, <laughs> but you know, I mean, it's uh, you know, insert country here kind of thing. It's uh, every every country does it to some some shape, some way and shape and form, and uh, because it is in their best interest to do so. So, I uh, it's it's really really hard to believe what's uh, what's really true going on in the media. Like, I mean, you have to you have to dig pretty deep, and I think most people don't do that. So. They don't have the time, man. They got Absolutely. all these, these things don't. hitting them on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Not to go like full Alex Jones down the rabbit hole, but um, it's interesting when you look at uh, the Vault 7 releases. That's shown us that the CIA has hacking tactics and code that, that exists that can misdirect forensic investigators as to like what the true origin of virus Trojans and hacking attacks are. So if you look up Marble... It was used to hamper forensic investigators and antivirus companies from uh, attributing Trojans and hacking tools to the CIA. So there's source code out there that shows that Marble was able to um, have test examples and things set up in not just English, but Chinese, Russian, Korean, Arabic, Farsi that you could put into your code that you eventually deployed so that when somebody was doing forensics later, they think, oh, I see a bunch of Korean in here it must be north korea yeah it's very who knows even if you see something and it's attributed to russia like who knows who did it just could be planted yeah there's so much plausible deniability and uh, people's attention spans were much smaller than they were probably even 10 years ago and uh it's uh you know we look at the shadow brokers uh they uh it made it look there's been there's there's been passages in there that made it look like it was russian but uh it's probably american it's uh it's probably uh another country uh that's been involved maybe north korea but uh you know i mean it's if if uh what was it, i think it was the the internal blue the wanna cry uh they said that the the chinese was most fluent uh there that could be misleading as well that could be huge red herring you mean Imagine this: if you're really if you're really working hard to try to cover your, cover your butt, so to speak, you are uh, going to make your own language look like you speak you didn't speak it. Like you're going to have full of grammatical errors, or or it's going to sound funny. Whereas if you uh, you know you can use Google Translate, you can use uh, whatever application. Um, you could even have a friend that uh, that makes it look like you know who speaks fluent Chinese, you know, puts puts the passage in almost perfect Chinese, and then people are gonna go, oh my God, it's China, but in fact, it gets actually really another country. Yeah, just run all your comments through Babelfish from English to Chinese and back. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's not hard to to do this, right? It's like how to. You know, go, oh, yeah, it's perfect Chinese or perfect Russian or this Russian. Well, I guess, you know, it's, we're looking at what's the intent of the news. I mean, why are they blaming Russia so hard? I mean, it's almost, you know, uh, you know the Democrats are trying to distract from whatever message or, or whatever is going on. It almost seems like it's just kind of, a, you know, a sleight of hand or whatever they're trying to do here. Exactly. But the thing is, is that, I mean... You never know about you never know with the Russians, right? I mean, or you know, it, it, they they probably are involved in one way, shape, or form, or or they may be involved in, but who knows, right? Like, uh, at what extent? What what's the extent of their involvement? Who else is involved? I think a a you know prospective president would be pretty crazy to think he would be able to get away with an allegiance with a foreign superpower to help make him president. 
yeah, that just doesn't fly. That sounds like treason. I think that's why it's so, it's so, uh, uh, why it's all over the news right now. And yeah, uh, like if he did, he should be hung for treason, but, uh, like it, the balls on someone to try to think that that would fly. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to pin something to make it stick. I mean, it's, you know, the, lib- the liberal media is going pretty crazy. And I, I mean, I'm not agreeing with his views or his stances or anything. But uh, it just, it almost like it's pointing fingers and stuff. And now, you know, as, as again, as consumers or of the internet and news, you know, you're going online to find more and more information and you're just coming across all these articles. And a lot of people read their Facebook feed and start re-clicking on links and everything's posted there. And, you know, if it was reposted by a friend, then you probably give it a little more traction. Uh, it gives it a little more believability, and it could be just a bunch of fake news. So it's you know it's it's really hard to discern the message, the real news, and the real message from all the babble that's going on out there. Yeah, exactly. So, so far, we've talked about you know news that are is like could be true, but is being like you know maybe it's being purported as true and isn't quite. But there's definite fake things that have hit Facebook and being passed around, like whether mm. they're they're spammy chain mail-y type things or it's you know 4chan poll just having a laugh but it's been everywhere and it's it was especially uh, huge around the election like a definite definite fake things that were so fake yeah yeah couldn't believe that people thought they were true and they were just getting passed around everywhere and there's no way to really know like i could create a website right now and put something completely stupid on it that's not true and somebody might pick it up and report on it and believe it and i think that's crazy well, I mean, before it's, it was just, you know, how many news outlets were there? I mean, you know, all the major newspapers, all the major news stations, they had reputable reporters, you know, everyone had, you know, a degree, a background in journalism, they were reporting, sources were fact-checked, you know, if there was ever a mistake, you know, a retraction was printed the next day or an apology or whatever, and now anybody's a reporter, anybody's a journalist, get online, two seconds, you put up whatever you want, link it. So, you know, maybe maybe the Internet could just be one uh, big, big National Enquirer magazine or Weekly World News or whatever, you know, <laughs> at the end of the really day. It's really hard to find the good from the fake. And I think, you know, like I was saying, we put a lot of weight on what our friends or colleagues or connections post on these social media sites. We'll give that more weight, I think. And that just makes it easier for fake news to spread it's no different than i think you know look uh, within you know not just within government but any big organization where you where spam email happens it looks like an email from someone you know within your organization and you click on it and oh lo and behold it's not so we put a lot of weight in stuff from people we know yeah and i mean i mean it's 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 tough to know what's real and what's not these days i mean i mean i go through multiple news news sources and there's always something different, you know, like I look at a similar topic and I go through multiple news sources and there's, there's, the nuances are very different and, uh, it's, you know, I mean, uh, something's happened and then, but they news, news organizations, whether they're independent media or, uh, one of the big corporate media, uh, station, uh, news channels or whatever. And then they, they embellish it. They, uh, sensationalize it. And, uh, you know, it's 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 you know it's infotainment. That's what, that's what essentially what it comes down to. It's infotainment, and uh, anybody can do it. It's like you know, it's like you. We have things like YouTube now. We have uh, Vimeo. Like people can put up these uh, uh, whatever video they want um, 
You know, they and, and it happens all the time. Like it's some people put out. Uh, so and it's it's uh, yeah, it's I think it's up for the viewer to decide what to, you know, they have to. I think people these days have to think a lot more critically, you know, now get nowadays because of, you know, it's it's really tough now to believe whatever is what is what's real and what's not. Yeah. I agree. I agree, Dom, and there's some really good points made there. It's just, you know, like on all three of our topics for today, I mean, it's a lot is put on the end user, unfortunately, but that's just the way the way we're going now. So that's uh, that's our podcast for today. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, join us next week when we bring back uh, three or more fresh new topics for, for discussion on uh, two drop tables and a microphone. Thanks. That was the Two Drop Tables podcast for this week. If you've got comments or feedback, you can visit our website at twodroptables.ca. That's the number two, droptables.ca. There you can read the show notes and leave a comment on this episode. Or you can email feedback at twodroptables.ca. You can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find fine podcasts. Just go to our website for convenient links or search your podcasting app for Two Drop Tables.